0: Hi everyone, this is Steve Rose with AnarchistStandard.com, and today I am very pleased to welcome Dr. Robert Murphy to the podcast. Dr. Murphy, for those of you who don't know, is uh, one of the leading uh, economists uh, in the Austrian School of Economics. Uh, He's a PhD and also an author of many books uh, on uh, Austrian economics. Uh, One of his books, uh, Chaos Theory, maybe you've read, but if you haven't, I suggest you do. Uh, was uh, very influential in in my ideological development and in that book, Dr. Murphy really uh, goes after the hard questions about how uh, anarchist society would would work and uh, uh, for people who, many minarchists get stuck on this question of how would a free society provision law and security and in that book Dr. Murphy really goes after those questions uh, sort of akin to machinery of freedom in that sense uh, so, Dr. Murphy is an economic consultant now. You can see, you, you can contact him or see some of his work uh, consulting by rpm.com and uh, he's a professor at the Free Market Institute at, at Texas Tech, and he's also the co-host of a new podcast he's doing with Tom Woods, called uh, Contra Krugman, where they try to go after some of the economic fallacies put out by Paul Krugman. So I've been trying to get Dr. Murphy on the podcast for a while, and it's great to finally talk to him. Dr. Murphy, how are you today? i
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure. So as I mentioned in the uh, invitation, the the idea behind this podcast, I know you're an economist, and most of the work that you do for the liberty movement right now deals with, like I said, dispelling some of these fallacies that people have in their minds. But today i 'd like to ask you to sort of zoom your focus out a little bit and and talk about the liberty movement in general. Uh, you wrote chaos theory I think in two thousand and one or two, so you 've been involved with these ideas for many years and, and probably have formed some really unique opinions about what we you know where the liberty movement could be going, what are we doing wrong, what are we doing right? what are the prospects for liberty so that 's what I want to talk about for the next hour or so with you. Uh, but before we do that, maybe could you just uh, t- talk a little bit for a minute or two about your own personal uh, ideological development, like how, how you became an anarchist and, uh, you know, was it was a sort of an epiphany? Was it reading Rothbard? How, how did that process come about for you?
1: Sure. So I was, uh, I think it was junior high or high school, early high school. I can't remember the exact period, but it was, uh, my dad was like taking me to, Basketball practice or something in the car, and he was listening to Rush Limbaugh. Ah. And that, now this this must have been junior high. Now I'm, getting, now I'm remembering. And uh, and that was the first time. So I was like in seventh grade, and up till then, like I I thought Franklin D Roosevelt was a great president and stuff. I mean I, I actually remember writing a, a piece, uh, you know making we had, in the class we had to do some kind of proposal to how to make society better, and I said we should abolish money. <laughs> I was like in seventh grade. And I was just walking through all the reasons. I oh, would get rid of crime. And some people were saying, "But how would we, you know, make stuff?" And I said, "Oh, well, if you needed a car, you would just, you know, write it down and send it to the government. And you'd be on a list." Or something. I mean, it was—I mean, I can just think back to that. It was pretty funny. Um, and so it was this—that you know, radio guy Rush Limbaugh. My dad was listening to. My dad was a conservative Republican, and that was the first. He was talking about handing out condoms in schools, like you know, public school, public schools. And how that would backfire and there'd be more teen pregnancies. And that was, at that point, that was the first time I had ever heard the notion that a government program designed to achieve X might actually achieve the opposite. Mm-hmm. I had never even encountered that. I was in seventh grade. And so then once I said, huh, I never even thought of that. And then my dad also had a subscription to what was called the Conservative Chronicle, which was like op ed pieces that it was weekly that would go out and collect op ed pieces for people who were, you know, at the time, considered conservatives. And it was like a lot of people like pro-Reagan kind of people who are just, you know, more like a foreign policy and stuff. But the ones I liked the most were the economists, Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. And I realized, oh, wow, I need more of this. And so somehow I got Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. I'm thinking at this point is more like maybe eighth grade or freshman year high school. And I just love that in the beginning he like – I don't know if he dedicated the book to, but paid homage to this guy, Mises. I think at the time I called him Mises because I had never heard him say his name before. And uh, so then I got finally human action. So by the time I was and so all along here, I was I went from thinking I was a conservative to then realizing, oh no, I'm a libertarian. You know, I don't think that the government should be telling you you, you know what? Is in, in high, high school, school you're at human action? Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I I was a senior in high school when I finally got my hands on human action. What wow. I'm saying just through high school I, I shifted from I, I never called myself a Republican I never mm. identified with political parties but I did think I was a conservative I'm pretty sure originally and then I realized as time passed oh wait no I'm not I'm a libertarian I don't think the government you know should be trying to legislate morality uh, and then but I wasn't a, an anarchist I think I was I think it was still like senior year of high school where I, I discovered Rothbard and I got four new Liberty. And I thought there was great stuff in there, but he amused me. I, I remember saying to my parents, "Whoa, this guy isn't for any taxes, ha ha." And I just thought, "Come on, that's that's too crazy. Like you need the government, you know, for tanks and stuff like that, right?" And so that was kind of where I was as of high school. And then for some reason, in, in college, I finally there there wasn't like a a thing I read or something. It was mm-hmm. more just I kind of I think it was just knowing how people were and and just realizing that stuff fails a lot, and just, you know, just this, because the state is there saying, mm-hmm. it's us, it's because of us that we're not being conquered by some neighboring government, I just stopped believing that, and, and just, it was more, like, trusting regular people, too, or something like, it was kind of like that, like, I just, I just kind of relaxed and said, you know what, I, I'm no longer, I realized, in other words, I was shying away from being a full Rothbardian in that sense, out of fear, that mm-hmm. I just thought, well, no, because I don't know that it would work, and I'm free... And it was for some reason in, in college I finally kind of settled down and just said, "No, nah, I'm, I'm willing to say that would be the better system." And so that's that's kind of what my progression was. But it was mostly like it was it was more like just piece by piece realizing that you, what this where people thought the state needed to intervene that that zone just kept shrinking for me. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty early easy on to wait. Wait a minute, no, you don't need the state to have a minimum wage that actually hurts the people it's supposed to help. You know, rent control, obvious stuff. You don't need to, then, You know, oh, you don't need them to build roads. You don't need them for post office monopoly. And then the harder stuff was like the Great Depression. And so then when I read free market economists explaining, because I had just assumed, yeah, we had laissez-faire capitalism and right. shucks, that led to the Great Depression. And so then when I read free market economists debunking that, that was very, I you know, I remember thinking, oh wow, okay. And so, but yeah, the last stand was stuff like courts and police and the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, and it, but it, wasn't, it wasn't some kind of like practical thing where I just thought, oh wait a minute now I can see how it would work and overcome the free rider. It wasn't something like that. It was just more, like I said, just like just being willing to embrace, you know, not knowing exactly how it would work out, but thinking it's worked in all these other areas. Right. Why would it be different here?
0: Do you think it's possible uh, to for somebody? Because it sounds like once you got to anarchism, you never went back, but. Uh, do you think it's possible that people can come to anarchism without having learned the economics? I mean, because you know, in, unless you understand how the why the Great Depression came about, or or you know, you understand the monetary system particularly, it's almost like it, it would be impossible for someone to rationalize not having a state. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think that we could we can get people on board without them fully understanding all of it? Because I mean, the monetary system is so complicated, so long historical development, like. What do you think? I mean, in your case, it sounds like you got the economics first, right?
1: Yeah, and I definitely came from the right. I mean, I know there's a lot of yeah. people uh, who, you know, would hate Rush Limbaugh with a passion. So if I I'm sometimes even shy away from telling that story, mm-hmm. but I was well, it's the truth, so I'm going to tell you what happened. <laughs> but <laughs> they give um, credit. Right. And so uh, yeah, I know I remember like when Ron Paul was running for president, I'd go to events and there'd be people there and some of them had come from the left. You know, people who were like hardcore environmentalists or whatever, mm-hmm. and so I think what attracted them to Ron Paul was, you know, his his anti-militarist position, and, and that's what. And then they kind of just broadened it and said, "Wait a minute, if I don't trust the government to go, you know, give democracy to people in the Middle East, why would I trust them to reform the inner cities in the United States, huh?" So I mean, it is a consistent, you know, the, the philosophy of liberty is consistent, uh, and but it's odd that they, because there are a lot of people who consider some right wingers. You know, real small government people who have no problem with carpet bombing, you know, foreign lands. You right. know, they they fully understand unintended consequences when it comes to the capital gains tax, mm. but not when it comes to dropping atomic bombs on people. You know, and it's it's odd. Yeah. So to answer your question, I do th- just like uh, I was able to become a Rothbardian without knowing a lot about history and military conflicts and stuff like that, and um, or, or cr- crime, let's say. Like I think somebody who really, and I i, had, I know people like this, so people who their career is just studying the so-called criminal justice system, a lot of them come away saying, I'm not sure building cages and throwing petty lawbreakers in there with rapists and murderers is the best way to produce a law-abiding society. Mm-hmm. And they might, you know, so someone like that, you might be able to grab them in terms of saying, look at how corrupt and counterproductive the police and legal system is. What if we brought in competition? It's, you know, so... Um, I just think when people who study what the state does in one area, when they learn it there, or another example, I know somebody who was, was a, is a nutritionist, and on her own, she over the years realized, wait a minute, the stuff that the FDA is doing in the official food pyramid and all that stuff is—it's not just; it's a little bit off. It's totally mm. wrong. It's keeping people sick. Mm. And so, and so she, like I was, she was the sister of my childhood best friend, and so as we grew up, like I think for a while, she thought my economic stuff was a little out Crazy. there. Right. And then once she like realized in her own field, oh my gosh, the government is a source of evil and is like in league with these big corporations mm-hmm. and stuff and screwing people over, then she was less, you know, she was more willing to listen to me when I was saying, oh, when it comes to the banking system, look what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to answer your question, you, yeah, you don't need to be an expert in this, and also, you know, rather than like teaching high level economic theory, I mean, people, if you say, by the way, in practice, the bailouts and stuff were for the big bankers, they weren't for average people. They didn't buy people's mortgages that were underwater. Instead, they bailed out the people who had mortgage-backed securities. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they were trying to help homeowners, why didn't they just, you know, help them with their mortgage? So people kind of get that and they say, yeah, I, I don't think they were trying to, you know, help the little guy. So you could certainly talk about central banking and things in more practical terms to get them to see the same pattern they've probably noticed elsewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I just it just seems like I don't know though because, you know, I remember some testimony with Bernanke. Uh it was Ron Paul and Bernanke a couple of years ago and, and and somebody asked a question, like one of the Republicans asked a question about, you know, not a gold standard but something, you know, free market money or and and Bernanke, he responded like, "Oh, you want people to you want banks to print their own money and it's like you know, even somebody who studies this stuff, if they don't like bottom out and and totally understand the monetary system, it's like they're always going to be challenged because Bernanke knows something about monetary history. He doesn't maybe know. He's not like Rothbard probably, but he knows something about it. And and the the politicians know it's like this mystical kind of thing. You know, they don't. You know how money was before you understood it. It's like just this weird thing. Why do we? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes I think unless you can unless people everyone understands this stuff like you're not they're not going to be they're not going to be bulletproof anarchists because they are always going to be people going to be challenged them on on their economics and they're going to backpedal, you know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean I guess it depends. I think there's a there's a distinction we should make. If you're talking about people who are going to be effective evangelists out like
0: mm-hmm. on the blogs or on right. Facebook or something, uh yeah, those people they they probably
1: need to know at least some standard arguments and some evidence and things like that, so that they're not flat-footed when someone says, "Oh, but you know, the capitalism caused the Great Depression, you idiot." All right. You know that they, they can say something for a few passes at least. Um, but I mean, by the same like I'm just I'm terrible in terms of like I say the, uh, geography and history like things like that. I mean I love reading this stuff I just don't retain it very well. Mm-hmm. But I know that there are people in the Liberty Movement who certainly could sit there and give you a step-by-step history of like U.S. intervention vis-a-vis Iran,
0: mm-hmm. who
1: could explain to you why, no, the solution is not that we need to show those people we mean business and we're going to drop bombs on them. That that's what we've been doing that, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, by the same token, I think it's important that there are treatises and then you know shorter pieces or whatever, Rothbard's case against the Fed, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, more modern critiques of what the Fed's been doing with QE and all that, so that that people in the liberty movement know it's there and they could say you know for those who really want to delve into it but just to reassure them the no, our, our philosophy is comprehensive and it's not like we have this zinger objection that nobody on our team could handle right. but not everyone can't be experts in everything but but you are right um i think for whatever reason economics is probably more important than a lot of other dis- like you could be a pretty comprehensive well-rounded anarcho-capitalist theorist without knowing quantum physics. Right. But if you really didn't know anything about economics, yeah, it would, it would hard. be hard for you to do that. Right. You, you could do I mean, you wouldn't be inconsistent. For example, yeah. um, there are people who are pacifists for religious reasons. And so strictly speaking, I mean, they might not think of themselves as an anarchist, but you might be able to talk to them and say, well, wait a minute, do you believe people own stuff? Like there's private property, and especially if they were religious from an Abrahamic tradition, they would mm-hmm. say, well, yeah, Ten Commandments, you know, don't steal... Right. And so then, if you said, "Oh, so sh- should any agency ever use violence to enforce its will?" And if they said no, you'd say, "Okay, then technically, look what you are." You know, so, um, so anyway, it's there's ways of doing it, but you're right. I think that the typical route does tend to be from the right for people who realize they don't like the government meddling in economic matters, and then they just expand that.
0: I want to ask you a follow-up, maybe in a few minutes, about the the passivism because I don't know, like, uh, well. Uh, do you think that I mean we're not pacifists though, right? So in that case, if if somebody if somebody believes uh, you know in nonviolence, it's um, uh, well that's not that doesn't necessarily make them uh, like an anarcho-capitalist, right? I mean,
1: well, it's it's cause, uh, it's because we do believe was, you have
0: the right to to use force to defend your property.
1: Well, hang on, it, it's it depends what the what the pacifist position is, but it's. It would say if your pacifism is sufficient but not necessary to be an anarcho-capitalist, mm-hmm. right? So if someone really is a pacifist, then, then if they think you should never use violence mm-hmm. or aggression, well, then that includes you should never initiate aggression against somebody, right? right. But, you could, but you could be – so I'm saying all pacifists in that sense are libertarian in the sense uh. that they agree with the NAP, the Non-Aggression Principle. Uh but you could be a fully-fledged libertarian and not be a pacifist. You say, no, I believe in self-abusing violence if someone's breaking into my house, so I'm not a pacifist, right. but I would just never initiate it. So that person mm. is a libertarian. It's like with um, dr- drugs, for example. Mm. You know, Somebody who says, I think you- becoming a heroin addict is immoral, and I'm going to teach my kids not to do that, and if my kid does do that, I might even kick them out of the house. Mm-hmm. But under no circumstances would I want the state grabbing people and putting them in cages for dealing with the heroin trade. Mm-hmm. That's a perfectly fine libertarian position. Sure. So I'm saying a pacifist just thinks like that with regard to the use of violence.
0: Mm-hmm. But I guess uh, don't you think that if we're ever going to achieve a free society somebody is going to have to stand up to the to the status, right? And if we a consistent a, a, an actual fully consistent pacifist who says that even defensive violence is we don't we shouldn't do it isn't that going to be a, con- a counter countervail our ends because um, you know, like if I say like people are attacking me, taking my property, I need help, I need people, and then everyone says you shouldn't be defending yourself. Like that's my position as a pacifist. I don't know. What do, what do you think? There, there is sort of this strain in our, our movement where people say it's, the, the the ideas we have are are useless. It's it's an interesting exercise, but it's useless if you can't back it with force, right? If you if if you're not going to get people like political power to behind these ideas, it's uh, and that's – so what do you think about that? Like,
1: Well, um, I'm super happy to talk about that, but I think a lot of people – I think there are a lot of self-described anarcho-capitalists uh, who would agree with what you just said, right. but they also don't vote. And they say, no, you don't need to vote, and so I'm just pointing out uh-huh. a lot of – the pro-voting people would say the same thing to them and say, mm-hmm. "Well, what's the point if we don't we don't ever get enough people to go to the right. polls and vote, we'll never get our way." And so, mm-hmm. how would you answer? that? You'd say, "Well, no, I'm going to use other means. I'm going to try to educate people, mm-hmm. and this, you know, I don't think we're pulling a lever is really in the grand scheme. It's more about public opinion. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to do if only you know one percent of the people turn out to vote and they know? They're... So, by the same token, I don't think society runs by people pointing guns at each other. I think ultimately it's public opinion and I've written on this stuff because i yeah i I have become much more uh over the years um, appreciative appreciating the pacifist position yeah. that I, I see where they're coming from and um and, and some according to some definitions I would be a pacifist myself mm-hmm. just but you know someone says, "Oh, someone breaks in and and you see no other way to protect your kid without hurting the person. I'm just going to admit to you, yeah, I would do it. I would feel bad later and say, is there anything I could have done to not have to hurt that person? But Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not going to sit there and let someone do something to my kid. But um, So in that sense, some people would say, well, you're not really a pacifist. Okay, fine.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: I do think that it's – I I think it – if we could persuade more people to agree with our ideas, then the fight wouldn't be necessary. And If it got to the point where it was really 1% of the people who had – guns and so forth and the rest said no you guys are just a, a criminal gang right L- let me put it to you this way that, to me the reason the state is in power is not because it has superior firepower it's ideological matter that mm-hmm. because the public even though they say oh they're a bunch of liars and scoundrels and they're they're robbing me every April 15th haha they don't really think that right. they're being robbed in the same way of like literally a mafia person right and so I think if, they, if we could get them to see that to believe that then you know, that that would be that would spell the end of the of the state.
0: So let's let's think about this as a, as a hypothetical, because, you know, I hear I hear that argument a lot about like if, if no one voted, what would they do? And and wouldn't they just continue to do what they're doing, though? I mean, because if 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 do they really care if we don't vote, I mean, even if they only got 10 percent of the votes it's still there's still a state you know, and it's still like the the policemen who who are the soldiers who take the money and don't don't care about the fact that it's stolen are still gonna enforce that you know like you see what I'm saying like in, in, until there's some sort of expression almost like a corporate expression of our ideas that that can, can push back on the state like you know i guess is is ideology enough is what I'm trying to get at, you know. Just to continue this thought. So, sure yeah.
1: Well, for sure it would, um, it would manifest in, in practice. It would manifest itself in all those things, right? So of course, you know, people would, uh, you know, many households they would go and arm themselves and they would get ready and say, "I'm, I'm you know, in my head, I got a line." And if, just, mm-hmm. you know, if the government starts like arresting people for speaking out, well, then that's it, and it's yeah. you know, it's revolution. And <laughs> there are people like that. There are. I yeah. I actually think. That would give the state the pretext to impose right. martial law, right? So I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's we're not. So again, here we're not talking about what you have the natural right to do. Like, right. Obviously, if you live in a tyrannical regime, many standard theories of politics say you would have the right to violently resist it. Sure. But the point is here is one of pragmatism right. and saying in the you know what what actually is the best thing to do in certain situations. And so I let me just say this, and I'll, I'll come back to answer your, your general principle. Mm. But what's funny to me is there are a lot of really hardcore anarcho-capitalist people who are, you know, they're not, they're by no means naive. At any time there's like some kind of attack on government forces that like gives public sympathy, you know, like they like say, oh, uh, you know, ISIS attacked these, this police station or mm-hmm. Al-Qaeda bombed this recruitment center for the Pakistani army or whatever. There's lots of people who say, oh, that's a false flag. Uh-huh. So, okay, maybe it is. Right. I'm not saying it isn't, but look at your worldview. You're admitting that the government would want there to be a one-off attack that doesn't really hurt its whole operation, but right. just kind of kill some of its low-level people. Uh. So then it's a little bit inconsistent if you're thinking, oh, we're going to stop these guys as if we, you know,
0: uh-huh. I you know saying, engage
1: in this little guerrilla warfare where we're in, in our bunkers and stuff, and maybe right. we'll take out three of them before they take me out. And I am say, uh, you know, if, if the government likes false flags well, to get public sympathy, then right. why would you give them something they don't even have to lie about? They can truthfully say. These were anarchists attacking mm. us, and the public says, "Oh my God, anarchists! You will, okay, we'll give up our liberties because we want to be protected from those crazy right. anarchists."
0: I guess so. like the only the counter argument would be like if it's a false flag, they're doing it, they have it planned, they know exactly what the purpose is. Like people say, JFK was assassinated, right? Which maybe there's a conspiracy there, but but you know if if something happens where they haven't planned on it, then you actually disrupt their plans. That that would be you know the only sure. sort of yeah you know
1: so um. Okay, but back to your your general point about uh,
0: so, nobody votes and
1: yeah, and and again I don't I know there are some anarcho-capitalist theorists who think voting is wrong in principle. So I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying I personally have stopped doing it. Right. Um, I used to do it like so I would vote for like a third party person like the Libertarian or if there was some other you know candidate that just really stood out so that if I was at some social event during election time and somebody said, who are you voting for, then I could truthfully say the person. They'd say, oh, who's the wife? You know, And then it would just give me an opportunity. Exactly. So even there, it wasn't like I thought me casting that one ballot per se was gonna make a difference. It was more, it was a vehicle for me to educate. The same thing, that's why I am totally happy that Ron Paul ran for president those last two times, not because I thought, oh, he's gonna be, be elected and then do all these things. Right. I, but rather that it was just a great educational opportunity a vehicle because people like elections. It's like, it's like watching the Super Bowl or something for people and it gives them something to talk about. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm saying in practice, of course, these things would all go hand in hand. You would have people who would, you know, go bunkers and get ready for the big one. You'd have people who would work in the political process and say, no, no, we're getting better and better candidates here. You would have, uh, Certain like state legislators refusing to enforce federal laws they thought were unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. You might have talk of secession. You might have, but but also what I'm just saying is there's a whole spectrum of ways that the public would stop cooperating with a the state they viewed it as illegitimate. So for example, uh, you know like like the uh, drug prohibition. Yeah, even if the public was totally against it and they and they, the government just ruled out a let okay, there's no more elections anymore. We're just in power forever because we have nuclear bombs. What are you gonna do? Oh. And the, you know, the people might still send in taxes to the IRS for fear of reprisal, but if nobody ever called the police because it smelled like marijuana in their apartment building, mm. you know, and people could see no, no the, all those those guys are dealing drugs on that corner, but no one ever called them because they didn't believe in those laws mm-hmm. or even the local sheriff. Didn't believe in that stuff either. They said no, no, no. You know, we see rapists or bank robbers. We'll go after those guys. But some kids selling a plant, we're not going to deal with that. I'm saying it's if the public in general really withdrew its consent, uh-huh. and there was no genuine legitimacy for the app- apparatus in Washington D.C. I mean, yeah, they would be. It would be like you know the, the Nazi occupation of France during World War II. Clearly, the French people didn't view them as their rightful government. Mm-hmm. They were just there out of fear because well, they're But I'm saying that – notice that didn't last that long. You can say, well, it's because the Allies came in, and shore. But the point is I I believe David Hume said this, Mises said this, that in the long run there's no such thing as an unpopular government. This is why, for example, uh, one last thing here on this point is Mm -hmm. if public opinion really doesn't matter that much and ultimately it's a matter of just guns and so on, Mm -hmm. then why is it that really totalitarian regimes like Stalinist Russia – Right now in North Korea, mm-hmm. there is where they're the most zealous about keeping out, you know, bad information. You know, like controlling what their subjects see. Right. And like if there's graffiti against the regime, they take that down right away. And so that's you wouldn't expect that. You would think, well, no, they have all the guns and they have a police state. What do they care what people think? No, it's the opposite. In order to have an absolute police state, you have to be really vigilant to make sure the average person in that society, from the birth. Is brought up being taught right, right, that the right. leader is like from God or something. Mm-hmm. And is there, you know, his big brother to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that just underscores the importance of shaping public opinion, which is why, to me, the best thing I can do is not try. You know, we can't control what's going to happen, but I can certainly, you know, try to educate people and teach them why you know, freedom, a free society, is the ideal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ideology is very important, but doesn't it seem to you that, that most people are, and this is something I like to ask a committed anarchist like yourself, you know, most people don't, are not really ideologically driven, you know, they sort of take cues from people around them. What am I going to do with my day? What am I going to do with my life? They have these role models, patterns, you know, they don't, they don't say let's go to the root, the core of what I believe, let's examine my premises like maybe we have done. And and so and and people say like well the 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 difference between the state and and a, ro- a group of robbers is the state actually has consent which is true but the the counterpoint to that is they have an incentive to distort people's minds you know and 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 we're in a it seems like we're in a like an ideological race because you know you you promote these ideas I I promote these ideas a lot of us are out there like trying to get people on board with these ideas but but at the same time there's all these other influences around them where the state is pouring money into propagandizing all these government programs you know so uh, if we're ever going to how are we ever going to overcome that I guess is my question you know because it's not just we're static we're, we're gaining we're, we're running against them and they're taking our money and, and you know what do you think?
1: Well I think you're right that there is uh, a, a race if you will and I in, in one respect, um, I, I had a, a, a video I put up on my YouTube channel, some, I forget the exact title, something like Liberty Lovers Have Two Years or something like mm-hmm. that. I was, I was saying that I really think the Obama administration is the last uh, window of what we think of as you know uh, this period of, of U.S. governance or something. Uh, after him, it's going to really qualitatively change towards more of a police state. And I was saying it's. I mean, you can see the trends in motion, but for me, it was more the other way around. That the people who are trying to quell freedom and, and, and suppress it know that with the internet now and people connected and being able to share information, like they like, they can't control information
0: anymore mm-hmm. the way
1: they could before with you know the major news networks right. and, and new newspapers or whatever. They really had a pretty good lockdown on how the average person was informed about the world. Whereas now, no no young person Turns on the TV to find out what's going on. Right. And I don't mean ideological. I just mean anybody. Right. Nobody goes to the TV or radio to get news anymore. That'd be crazy. Or mm-hmm. newspapers. Who the heck reads newspapers? So, um, and then given now that you're going to go to the internet, you're not going to go to a state-approved source. You know, right. the, the everyone can recognize. Now that doesn't mean everyone's flocking into libertarianism. I mean, I'm sure that the you know Marxists are like, oh, this is great. Right. Now we can finally get our message out. You know, <laughs> and, and they probably are thinking that. So. Um, I, I think that that's there is that trend there, and at the same time though people are really s- scared, and and that's why I think these things all dovetail together. Where you know I I spend most of my time obviously as an economist talking about trends in the financial sector, and oh my gosh, look what these central banks are doing, and people are saying, come on, Bob, are are they that stupid? Mm. And I want to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, actually I think they know full well what they're doing, really, because they need. They could they would never be able to get the public in times of prosperity and where there's no danger from attack or no terrorist date you know threat
0: mm-hmm. to
1: just give up a bunch of their liberty.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. So they have to
1: scare the crap out of people. Mm-hmm. And when are they gonna do that when there's like a depression and when there's some crazy guy over in Europe trying to take over the world? Mm-hmm. Right. So I you know, I, I don't I, I think those things go hand in. Now, again, you can't humans are unpredictable. There's billions of people on the planet. It's not, I don't think there's a group of seven guys smoking cigars who know what's going to happen eight years from now Mm -hmm. just because things are so complex. But I'm saying, I don't think that people who are making some of these decisions are ignorant of the fact that, oh yeah, we're going to cause, we're causing a massive boom right now and there's going to be a painful depression. And oh, at that point, we're going to have all these $15 minimum wage statutes across the country. There's going to be millions who can't find work. To them, that's a feature, not a bug. Really? That's what they need to then, you know.
0: See, I, I so this kind of gets to the question of are, are rulers evil or ignorant? And see, I always think if people really understood our ideas, they would be on board with us, you know. But, like, my, my impression of the people in power is they don't care. They don't want to know the truth. Like, nobody's going to be elected president if he's going to dig through the CIA archives. You know, that's why they put Obama up there, because he doesn't ask questions. That's why they put Bush in power, because he's, he's the kind of guy who doesn't ask questions, you know. But it seems like y- you have a different uh, impression. Like, I mean, do you think the Fed people at the Fed have actually read Mises and, and, and know and say, oh, we can use this to gain power? Or, you know, like, kind of that sort of way. We okay. understand it, but we're going to use it for our own ends. Because it seems like, to me, people would just say, we don't, you know, what do you think?
1: Okay, so... I agree with you that Obama and George W. Bush and those guys—they are just uh, you know, puppets. A strong word, but right. yeah, they they got to that position because people knew they those guys want to be president and right. they're going to do what we say as long as they get to be president because yeah, they're ambitious and they want to do that. It's the logical, uh, you know, pinnacle of their career, given the, what the path they've chosen for their lives, and mm. we're going to give it to them. Same token, I think. You know, why was Ben Bernanke Fed chair? Like, here's an example. So Ben Bernanke in his academic work, mm-hmm. both regarding the Great Depression and then his analysis of what the Bank of Japan should have done in the late 90s and early 2000s was not at all consistent with what he did for the United States.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I disagree strongly with what he, as an academic, said the U.S. should have done in the 30s and what he said the Bank of Japan should have done. Mm-hmm. But the point is... What he did in practice as Fed chair was not – it didn't line up with that. And so yeah. there are a lot of academic economists who wanted the Fed to adopt a like a, an NGDP target, blah, 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 uh. who are just scratching their heads going, I don't get it. How come Chairman Bernanke is not like academic Princeton <laughs> economist Bernanke? I don't get it. And I want to say because the reason he was Fed chair is it was understood, okay, you get to be Fed chair, but you're going to do what we tell you to. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it wasn't explicitly said sure. like that, but it was an, it was understood. You know, mm-hmm. and so, um, but so I agree with you that the figureheads of the public sees, they are not, not you know, they could be ignorant, and maybe that's how they get to sleep at night, is they yeah. really think, or Stay probably, ag- yeah, probably like a president, it's more, he has got fifty thousand different things going on, and thinks, well, if I achieve these, area, you know, if I achieve accomplishments here, you know. That that kind of compensates for the fact that I kind of had to sell out over here. And yeah, I'm not really going to worry about that too much because the truth is too painful. I can see someone doing psychological mechanisms like that sure. sleep at night. But still, that just pushes the problem back one step. Okay, then how come the people who you think are calling the shots behind the scenes? Why would they? Are they stupid? Do they not know that? Well,
0: they, what do you think?
1: Do you no, think? No, I don't. I don't you think they stupid. know. Right. So you, you know, you went earlier. I'm not saying they all have read Mises' theory of money and credit right. and are all card-carrying Austrian economists. But what I am saying is I think they know that they can't keep doing rounds of QE, for example. Mm-hmm. And so if the, the, just so people know, the Fed has not bought any new net assets since like October of 2014. Mm-hmm. Right? The Fed has not been inflating since then. Mm-hmm. Right, And they, bought, if you look at Yellen, you know, she came in, they started the so-called taper the the last month Bernanke was the Fed chair, and so then, you know, Yellen took over, and the Fed slowed its purchases, and now it's been holding cat. and now they're even raising rates. So a lot of people are saying, what are you guys doing? That doesn't fit your models and stuff. I think it's because they're actually better economists and not as crazy as like Paul Krugman and people Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. that they know, yeah, we can't just keep printing dollars every time the stock market dips, otherwise the currency will crash. Mm -hmm. And what's the point of us having over the decades gotten the whole world to use the U.S. dollar, we can't just wreck it right. know, in, one, in one orgy of, of inflation. So to me, that shows that they do kind of have a vague sense. But what I'm saying is I some people say, yeah, they, they back themselves, they paint themselves into a corner, and they really, it's unavoidable, and it's, it's a shame. There's going to be a big crash, but that's what they got to do. And I want to say, I think it's more nuanced than that. I think they could say, yeah, there is going to be a crash, and so let's get ready. How are we going to use that to our advantage? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then what do you? And so I guess uh, maybe that's a, a good transition into your your thoughts about where we're where we're going. You know, like uh, wh- where's the liberty movement going as far as what you see? I mean, you're you're like one of the leading leading voices here, and and, and think about it and talk to people all the time. Like, what's a liberty movement going to look like in 50 years? Uh, the future's unknown, but if you had to guess, like, are we going to be just same some really principled standouts really trying to f- sell these ideas and most people just kind of going along with the state? What do you think? Or maybe the, the, the internet is going to just, like you're saying, sort of disaggregate like the information dispersal, like uh, any thoughts?
1: Sure. I mean, I'll I'll just throw some stuff out. And we can yeah. go back and forth and, and have a conversation on it. So it's it's but when I first was really into this stuff, like let's say the early 2000s, mm-hmm. when I when I first a big thing was I went to the Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I was a grad student at NYU, getting so a PhD in economics, and I went to NYU because of their Austrian program there. That Ludwig by Mises had taught there. There was a, there was funding for grad students who wanted, you know, to do a dissertation on Austrian theory. Israel Kirzner was still there. Mario Rizzo was overseeing the fellowship. So. That's why I went to NYU because I was I wanted to be an economist who you know specialized in Austrian economics. So it made sense for me to go to the Mises Institute, and that was the first time where I had been around like in a room full <laughs> of hundreds of people who thought like this, and that was amazing to me. Yeah. I had never you know I knew such people existed from online and stuff, but I had never all been in the same room with them. I thought this is amazing. Yeah. And so that was great, and for you know, so for a while it was like we felt we had the best kept secret on planet Earth. Yeah. You know, and oh wow, this is this is so great. We, we're over here in the corner, no one even knows what Austrian economics is. No one's heard of Murray Rothbard except this elite club. And then, um, with the and I remember the career advice people differed, but a lot of um, like established older PhD mm-hmm. Austrian economists who were teaching at you know mid rank schools would tell new PhD people, hey on your CV don't have the word austrian in there like mm-hmm. just say you're into whatever monetary theory or labor markets blah 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 and of course your papers will be austrian right. but don't put that label on they said because nobody knows what that means or if they do know it might be a negative yeah. you know and so n- people don't give that advice anymore now the advice is flipped there's more and more austrians who have beachheads or even you know here at Texas Tech the Free Market Institute we're all here uh, you know very friendly to austrian economics So we we would give an extra look to a job applicant who had that on his or her CV, Mm. right? And so things have have flipped such that now if you really are an Austrian, that's what you want to do, that's what you're passionate about, you might as well advertise it Mm. because that's going to make you stand out since there are places that are looking for that, whereas before, barely anybody was was looking for it, right? So Mm. that that has changed. So in terms of economics and Austrian economics, that has definitely flipped. So that's a sign of progress. And then also... The Ron Paul, I, I can't stress enough. And some people, I, I totally get it. I know there are some people who are like, "What the heck? You guys are a bunch of anarchists, and you're <laughs> excited about a politician who's right. been in office for decades? What the heck is wrong?" I get that. It's, yeah. it's funny, but nonetheless, I can just say because it just energized, and it was like a focal point, and everybody mm-hmm. was it was rallying. And that was, and then when he was doing well, you know, early on in things, where people were raising money and you know, money bombs and all that stuff, and then being on stage in a Republican, uh, you know, debate and talking about blowback, I mean, my jaw dropped. I could not believe yeah. he was saying on national. I was like, I, this is awesome. Yeah. So that fired everybody up. And I that was just – and people who used to be mad at each other in these little schisms, that all melted away. Mm-hmm. And we were all – and then after, you know, that stopped, now people are just bitter enemies and it's, it's really fragmented. I think it's partly – just that that coaster co- that, you know, emotional roller coaster of we were so happy and then it didn't work, and then, uh, and then, you know, people just start fighting with you. It's your fault because, right. you know, you're,
0: uh... You say don't you vote, know. and I, you know, and, and right. that's, that's what's killing the movement. Right.
1: And, and then other people say, oh, it's because you're a seller. How are people right. supposed to know these principles exactly. if, you you know, concede half the argument, and just try to have watered down freedom, you know? Mm. So I, I get that, and so it's, um, fortunately, because for, for a while, I used to, you know, you, you'd like I know people who would, who moved to try the free state project, and then some people got really disillusioned and moved away. And just mm. said, I love the idea. It's just some of the people who are there I can't stand them. And so for a while I was concerned. Like, what is it about liberty that yeah. you know? Is, but I think that's just people. You know what I mean? Like mm. churches I've been parts of. You know, people fight there. Right. And you could say you guys aren't being good Christians, and of course they're not. You know, <laughs> and so. And various, you know, every organization I've been a part of, there have been people who have been a pain in the ass, and there have been people who are real diplomatic and try to make things work, and people are freeloaders. So, but it that's, is that's it,
0: people. Yeah, but it is a problem inherent to our movement because it's because we believe in free people. Uh, I actually wrote a, uh, an essay about this one time about schisms because you know you look at politicians, right? They 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 fight ostensibly they're fighting, but when they're when they're public, they're very diplomatic to each other. You know the the good the my my colleague from Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. But like and and why why can they be that? Because they they have an incentive to. To to not r- rock the system because they're dependent on it for their livelihood, but when you look at people activists in the liberty movement like yourself, right, or other people who are doing this, like we we the market likes differentiation. So so you think about Cato Institute, the Cato the guy the people at the Cato Institute they wanted to find themselves in opposition maybe to the anarchists, right, or the anarchists want to say you know you're a sellout because this is how I get followers. This is, so isn't this an inherent and, and it's kind of like what Hayek wrote about, you know, in in, um, in uh, uh, how the worst get get on top. About like all the differentiation of values sp- sp- breaks people apart, but the lowest common denominator unifies people in the state, right? So, uh, so isn't it inherent to our movement if we're ever going to have a unified opposition to the state? Like you were talking about earlier, you know, there will be people who who won't vote. There will be people who, you know, maybe will be in politics. Uh, but but they'll all have different views about where we're going to go, and, and don't we eventually need to all unify, you know, and just say unity is our most important value, even beyond, right? I mean, do you see what I'm saying?
1: Oh, I definitely see what you're saying. So the I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I just want to point out that it, that that issue of, you know, do we insist on a, a purity test, or yeah. do we are we big tent? Right, and and there, that's a you know a, a standard uh, question, and that, of course that came up with a lot of uh, you know the issue of Rand Paul. You know, after Rob Paul was no longer running, and now Rand Paul is, should we support him or not? Mm-hmm. And you know, that, and you had that argument. People were saying, well, you know, he's clearly not as as cool as his dad was in terms of these issues I care about. But on the other hand, he's more polished and mainstream. He'll probably get more, you know. And so we saw his dad didn't win, right? right. So maybe he, and and, and that was the. And then the the counter response was, well, no, the point here is to educate people not to win votes. What's the point of winning the White House if you have to sell out to get there? And I don't don't have a good answer for that. I'm I'm acknowledging the merits of of both of those positions, those arguments. But um, so I think by the same token, what you're saying, somebody could understandably object and say, well, wait a minute. If you say by unity means I have to put aside the things I really care about and then embrace a bunch of people who actually hold views that. I find a warrant
0: and that's how we're going to win, you know, then
1: what? No, I I don't know that I do want to unify with those
0: people. Well, but I mean, you're saying I'm going to, I'm going to do it voluntarily because I realize that if I don't, we're not going to win anything. And we're all, so, so I'm going to make unity, like the most important value, you know, as long as it's, I don't know, like this is, I kind of think we need to get people on the movement on, on board on this. Like we need to have a unity, you know, Everyone has like different areas of focus but we all need to back each other you know because like, it seems like we hate each other a lot of times different schisms more than the state and it's like oh, yeah. you know what i mean
1: Yeah and so it i mean and you can see this like if you look at marxism you know and there were you know stalinist and leninist and trotskyites and this and that and the other thing and you know like for you know you get right into it and the, you know the people who actually believe in that stuff would know that, oh, communism and socialism are not the same thing, Marxism is a, you know, so they would know all this terminology and the stuff they're arguing, and to them it would be really important, whereas to me, i thought oh, you guys are a bunch of commies. Mm-hmm. By the same token, though, if I'm talking about Austrian economics, libertarianism, and the issue of fractional reserve banking versus 100% reserve banking, mm-hmm. that's a big, important issue, whereas mm-hmm. those guys, so you guys are a bunch of right-wing nut jobs right. who, you know, want to give everything to the bankers, right, so both objections would be very, you know, ill-informed and, because we're not in those respective camps and so you don't know. So you're right, it, that is funny. And it's the same thing like in, in churches too. The people who argue the most are various Christian sects mm-hmm. who differ on like 1% yeah. of doctrine. Seventh-day they really,
0: Adventists, uh, you know, yeah, they really
1: can't stand right. those people over there who believe in such and such, you know, when clearly compared to the rest of the world, they are virtually identical in their worldview. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's Typical, um, and it's you know uh, we can psycho- psychologically we could probably explain why that happens. So as far as what you're saying, yeah, I think for sure what I can agree with is that people who differ on some minor point when they should step back and recognize, okay, if I could get the average person to believe like this person rather than what the average person currently believes, would that be a vast improvement? And if the answer is yes, then yeah, you shouldn't treat this person over here that you're arguing with as if he's the devil. Right. And it's like, oh, that would be amazing if most people were minarchists mm-hmm. and just differed on this one issue. You know, so.
0: Yeah. So what I mean, what do you think? Uh, you know, what what should people be doing more of? Like, uh, do you have any you know uh, wor- words of wisdom from from 15 years or more of of uh, participating in this movement? Like. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about it, like you know. But what, what else would you say? You know, you would like to see more of in our movement from anarchists.
1: Well, let me uh, steal a line from Gandhi and say, "Be the change you want to see in the liberty movement." That I think that's a big thing. Is that there's a lot of people who are, and, I, and I've done this too. I'm not condemning yeah. anybody. You know, it's it's easy. When you sit back and you're looking at what these other people are doing, and also what fuels it is if somebody is really gaining a lot of attention doing something that you think is either wrong or in the long run is going to be counterproductive. Right. And then, you know, you spend most of your time explaining, no, 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 no. this person is not a good representative Mm -hmm. of liberty. I don't understand. He's he's a fraud. He's doing I think that is not very productive, even if what you're saying is correct. I mean, maybe if you want to go on record and say it. Mm -hmm. But I think that actually attacking people, especially if you you know, you let it get out of hand and you start, you know, just trying to be funny and, you know, taking some shots that aren't really related to the specific critique, but are just more making fun of somebody that actually engenders sympathy for the person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so I think that's counterproductive. And then also just the outsiders, it looks like people fighting and that's, you know, no one wants to join a movement where there's a bunch of infighting. Right. So I would say rather than pointing out why these nine different approaches are all stupid, why don't you just focus on doing what you think? You know, so yeah. in other words, just show by example and say this is what I'm going to do to try to promote liberty, uh-huh. and then people can look at that and say, yeah, I like that better than what this guy's doing, and they might you know, circulate your stuff or copy you. So that, that would be my overarching thing is just go ahead and create and do what you think is the best way to help liberty rather than publicly denouncing other people who are trying to stuff up their mm And so, and I think also that includes, um, I think our ideas are great. So obviously, if some young person likes economics and wants to go into that, fine. But we're we're arguing about protectionism and tariffs again. I mean, this is stuff that Adam Smith supposedly dealt with in 1776. And we're back to square one. So I don't. I mean, so by all means, go ahead and do it, but that's more of like a consumption good for the people who already believe in that stuff, just to refine it in terms of spreading liberty. I I would much rather, uh, you know, very, very talented filmmakers go ahead and make movies that are libertarian movies, not because the point of the movie is to spread libertarianism, just because it's a cool movie. And it happens to be very consistent with the libertarian perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's some blockbuster that has that view, then I would be I would think that would be much more important now than someone writing another book on uh, economics because in my mind, in terms of the ideas of like economic theory and stuff like that, we're pretty untouchable in terms right. of the, the average statist. I mean, there's there's sophisticated economic theorists that can come up with objections, but uh, to me, it's more of how to get those ideas in ways that the, the public can understand. Because right now, yeah, I, I see that there's there's an issue with our connection. Because right now, it, it is uh, you know in the, the popular culture, the default is still that if there's a problem, it's probably because some corporation caused it and we should just go to the government and say fix this that's Mm -hmm. still the default move even among people who are very cynical about politicians
0: yeah yeah I mean uh, trying to integrate it into the larger culture is is, uh, that'd be I mean it just seems like there's it's such a it's such a there's such a gold mine there that you know like why are why are artists singers not making actually I saw you you, you make music music videos but uh why are why are they not like uh, you know uh, novelists could be writing about the ethical quandaries of our of our of our, uh, of our ideas because it, it creates these novel sort of ethical questions for people. How do I live a life of liberty in, in the midst of a state? And You think like, you know, um, like Les Miserables, like, you know, where there's these huge ethical questions and the guys, and it seems like that's how we live our life, you know, like how do I live and, and come to terms with it, you know? Uh, this is a question I've asked people before. What do you think about like uh, as, as sort of an approach towards statists uh, of, of shaming them, you know? And a lot of people don't like that because, Uh, They they think it it makes our our ideas unattractive to people, but um, isn't isn't the ability to shame people something we can offer to to anarchists? Because a lot of times our ideas make us sort of like the outcasts in society, and and we all sacrifice sort of maybe income. We sacrifice uh, comfort because we're we're fighting the state, and and, and the ability of somebody to shame others and and feel like they're on an ethical high ground – could be, you know, it's almost like a, it's a self-esteem thing. What do you, th- what are your thoughts about that? Because a lot of people are so fundamentally against shaming. The second you bring it up, they, they, they attack you, you know. And uh, well, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, yeah, and this kind of goes back to um, what I was saying earlier about changing public opinions. So, so for me, uh, I think one of the, a more effective, okay. <clears throat> In terms of how would you get it so that. The, the US is not able to have occupying forces in the Middle East and so on. I think one of the things that perpetuates that, that is when guys in uniform get on a plane, people will go up and say, Thank you for your service. Right. Or I've seen people applaud. Like I, I was in the Atlanta airport a while, ago, like mm-hmm. several years ago. And a bunch of guys in uniform were coming off a plane, and the whole place just spontaneously started applauding. And what was funny, you know, so I was sitting, like I, you know, I, I didn't applaud because I was totally against, you know, that, that was like the Iraq invasion era. Yeah. Um, but I think there were probably a lot of people clapping not because they actually were in support of the Iraq invasion, but because socially, they felt like, well, I don't want to be standing here not clapping when everybody around me is clapping. You know? Right. So, so yeah, if, if that could be that could be flipped where, you know, as somebody who, uh, just like. It's not cool to be a tax collector right now. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If some guys at a bar trying to pick up a girl and she's like, what do you do? And he says, oh, I work for the IRS. I think in most, for most people that would be a turnoff. Yeah. Whereas if he said, oh, yeah, I'm you know in special forces, I think there's a lot of women that that would be like, oh, really? Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of cool. So I, I think that that's – you're right. That issue – now, so in terms of when you say shaming, if you mean just getting the public to – uh, change their their views of things and 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 change like the, the hierarchy of like right now, you know firefighters and so, U.S. soldiers by far and police officers they are held up to young kids as these are the most noble, selfless professions and you're serving your fellow man. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you literally serve your fellow man by being a waiter or a waitress, that's considered like. Scott, you know, uh... So of course there's the issue of danger. I'm not obviously I'm not being ridiculous and underplaying that, but it's dangerous to be a coal miner. It's right. dangerous to drive drive a taxi cab in you know in an inner city area. Right. You know, that the rate of being shot there. But it wouldn't occur to anyone to say, well, let's salute today are those cab drivers who lost their lives, you know, delivering people from A to B. That's whereas it sounds perfectly normal to say, let's salute the people who gave their lives to go kill people in a war that was based on lies. Mm-hmm. Right? And so Again, I I know why that happens, and I understand culturally how those things occur, and I don't think the the majority of people involved, you know, if you talk to them on an an interpersonal, everyday basis, they'd be perfectly normal people, Mm -hmm. but that is the the collective outcome. So I think, yeah, we could change that through – and the way you change it I don't think is intellectually. I think it's more just conditioning and the kind of media and stuff like that, which is why the the yes. Um, So, like, in the the 60s, I think, like, the – the anti-war songs of yeah. the '60s. To me, that's a great model. So right. they weren't popular. Those were good songs. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That like the, uh-huh. the really talented musicians of that era. It wasn't like someone listened to it and they said, "Yeah, this is really an awful song, but it's got a good message." No, yeah. those were cool songs. Right. So even people to this day remember those songs, mm. and you know, you know, like Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth or whatever. That's a cool. Even if you don't even know it's anti-war, you know, some people don't even listen to the lyrics of that stuff, mm. or you know, Dylan or whatever. So. I, I think that's a that is a a good model to study and I don't know exactly I, I know some musicians now and they say yeah it's because this the like, you know corporations have, have taken over the music industry so much that it's hard for people with an independent message to, surface. to you know become popular yeah. and that's why they're you know turning to alternative ways of getting their songs out but again that's why the internet and everything is, is so revolutionary because now you can, if you're really talented, build up a fan base and support yourself, you know, just by uh, going directly to your fans and not having to go through some major label.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, we, uh, one more topic I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, we we have a few more minutes, but... Uh, is uh this is something I like to ask people uh, on the podcast because I've written something about it um and it's the it's a confluence of uh of the, of theology with anarchism now I know that you're a, a Christian and just some context I I was raised Roman Catholic and, and feel like I'm pretty well versed in the theology of Christianity even though I don't practice now but um I guess as a Christian you would I, I assume that you would not, you would say there's no inconsistency between Christianity and anarchism, and you would probably say that a consistent Christian is an anarchist. Is that accurate? Or?
1: Um. Well, certainly I would be able to if I was talking to a Bible-believing Christian who thinks that you know, man, there's plenty of, of passages in the Bible where it's clear that man corrupts everything, and mm-hmm. so that the true judge and authority is God and you know Jesus and by the way I if I'm talking to some people I often don't even describe myself as an anarchist just because I say well in a sense I'm a monarchist that I believe in a king named Jesus mm-hmm. right but when I'm talking with people in the liberty movement they say Are you an anarchist I just say yes because I know what they mean
0: politically you know, philosophy yeah, yeah.
1: as opposed to a minarchist, right so um so I it's but I mean there I could see someone being a Christian and 'Cause there are also passages where it, it does talk about the authorities, you know, being empowered. Render
0: under Caesar or whatever.
1: So I, I could see why somebody, you know I understand how there could how there could be plenty of Christians who are not what I don't understand is the the, the trend in certain evangelical churches of supporting the US military so strongly. Mm-hmm. To me that seems odd. Right. But the fact of, you know, believing in government per se um, but yeah, there's there's great stuff like when the, the Israelites want to have a king mm. instead of just having ruled by judges who are right. getting their information from God, and God expl- you know, tells Samuel to warn them and say, are you sure you want a king like yeah. these other pagan nations? This is what he's going to do, right. and they foolishly say, yeah, we want that. We want to be like them. Right. So cl- there's lots of stuff in there. Yeah. To show that you know the, the Bible does necessarily not, not teach that you should trust men to rule over you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted, so let me just play devil's advocate as as far as because you know Christianity, like you were saying earlier, it's an Abrahamic religion. It's a it's a monotheistic religion, right? There's there's one one Creator, one sovereign. Uh, but but there are many cultures that have uh, different you know they they're, they're polytheistic like uh, India is the big one the Hindus and and uh, and, and Buddhism, uh, believes that there's uh, uh, there you can have there's multiple gods and uh, and even in Christianity there's this heresy uh, manichaeism uh, which 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 says that there's the world is two forces good and evil and neither one is omnipotent they're battling right. And so that's sort of like a polytheistic. So I guess, uh, what would you say to somebody who says that, that a, a believe in a monothe, like a single God, like let's say I, 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 I'm, I say I'm not Christian, right? But the Christians would say, okay, you're not, you say you're not Christian, but, but you're, our God is still uh, sovereign over you. What would you say to someone who says that that's like creates a sort of a, a psychological paradigm for the state because it's like. I'm an anarchist, but people say, well, the state still justly rules you. Like, what are your thoughts? And I, like I said, just just the devil's advocate. Like, yeah, what, yeah. what do you think about that? Okay, like, so
1: so I should clarify just for people who don't know my background. So, yeah, I was – my name's Murphy. I was raised Catholic. Yeah. I went to Catholic – grant. we call it grammar school. That's mm-hmm. K through 8 for mm-hmm. people who don't know that term in high school. Uh, and then my high school was actually called Aquinas.
0: Right? Okay, Jesuit. Yeah, I was raised – okay.
1: It wasn't a Jesuit, but it was um, – yeah, we, we, our oh, Cornelius is
0: not judgment. Yeah, yeah you're okay.
1: Um, and so, uh, so I'm, I was raised in that tradition, and yeah. and then, but by college, at some point, I called myself a devout atheist.
0: Oh, really? I thought,
1: I thought that was a funny term. Yeah, I had planned on writing a book to really blow up the, the Bible definitively. I so thought uh, the <laughs> other critiques I had read didn't do it just, you know, yeah. like Thomas Paine and H. L. Mencken and stuff. But I thought, you know what? They really they they didn't do a full job. Right. I'm going to finish it. And then now I'm, you know, call myself a born again Christian. So that's just my background. So believe me, so that period where I was a Rothbardian and an atheist, yeah. I totally understand how people would think those go hand in hand, and they would mm-hmm. say, just like the state rules by fear and takes mm-hmm. people's money and says, oh, you need us or else it'd be horrible. Isn't that what priests do to people and mm-hmm. say, without us you're gonna burn in hell and give right. us your money? So I totally get that. Yeah. Okay. But as far as now my view and how would I explain the relationship between statism and views and religion and so on, I would say that if if the Bible is true, if there really is a God who created us and we have this God-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill, that explains why so many people, in my view, run to the state. They want this authority figure to take care of them Mm -hmm. and to provide them security and be the source of all goodness. So we shouldn't be shocked that if you don't have God in your culture, that people run to the state to be a surrogate God, mm-hmm. a counterfeit God, right? And so I, I get how you know, you know, could one could say, well, no, people don't need any people like that. That's why you should read I-Grant and just rely on yourself and stop relying on the right. crutch of others. I get that, but I'm just saying in that to, to me, the, since I believe the Bible now, that the correct interpretation of what's been happening is that people do – Understand that there is a higher power, a being that's better than they are, you mm. know, more moral and so on, more powerful. And that if they trust in that being, that's the way to achieve happiness in this life where we can't control our circumstances. Mm. And that if you take that away, people aren't just going to say, Oh, I guess I'm just going to be self reliant now and rugged an individualist. That mm. typically what they're going to do is replace it with something else that's obviously not as good as the the actual Well, but thing.
0: that you don't necessarily have to. It's, it, it sounds like you didn't when you were when you were an I mean, I'm not an atheist just to be clear. I'm more agnostic, you know, but when uh, you, when you were an atheist and, and a Rothbardian like you 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 held both of those, right? For I mean, you were I, able I I to...
1: did, but I also that was a uh, eventually like I would became really Changed. depressed.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: you know what I mean, so I think I would have turned into a person I really would not have liked had right. I continued down that path.
0: Mm, interesting. Right? And, so,
1: and also, let me say this, the people who are atheists and just think, well, no, we just got to you know, educate more people and we're going to turn this thing around. No, I, I don't think... In, other words, in order to be real optimistic and hopeful for the long-term yeah. future of humanity, I think if you don't believe there's a higher power that ultimately is going to come in and save the day that oh. you're being naive, yeah, it's like another thing. It's like, don't you realize how strong the Bilderberg Group is? You know, <laughs> or can't you see?
0: But that's a consequentialist argument. I mean, that's that. Oh, like, oh,
1: oh, right. I, yeah. So, to be clear, I'm not saying you should believe in this because other, you know, that'll help, right. help you be happy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, people who I think are saying, no, no, you know, I believe in a, objectivism or whatever, and I don't need to rely on gods or outside rulers, and we're just going to fight this thing and and we'll achieve liberty through these various other. Secular mechanisms. Mm. I think you're overrating, you know, your fellow man. Mm. If you, in other words, like right now, the, the New York Times a few years ago had a front page story talking about Obama's secret kill list. Mm. If that didn't make everyone sit up and say, "Holy cow, what's right. going on?" Nothing will. Yeah. Right. They will have, you know, marching people into camps and stuff. If that ever does happen, I'm not yeah. saying it's gonna, but right. if it does. It's not like at that point everyone's going to say, "Oh wow, these people warning about our liberties were right." No, they will just say, "Well, yeah, they have to put those people in camps because that right. bomb just went exactly. off in Toledo right. in the mall, and so yeah, I want to be able to go shopping and not have a bomb go off, so we got to take those people and put them in camps." <laughs> Duh, you know that's what's going to happen. Right. So
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, most people are actually terrifying. You know, doesn't it seem like, as an anarchist, you look at the world and you look at other people and you just think like, how do you live? Like, what do you think about? Like, I, I it's. See, this is where I was kind of going with this uh, train of thought is it, sometimes it seems like to me what we need to do is we need to encode anarchism into a religion with rituals and symbols. But but, but it's, it's we're not saying God. You know, you can believe yeah. a Christian God, but it's like, because why? Because most people, like I was saying, they're not intellectually independent. So we create this structure where it's like. You know, you, you set up these rituals. Yes, you come in and like you're a novice and, you, you know, then there's an the authority figure, which is like us, the Aust- Austrians who understand. And uh, because that way we can quarrel people sort of in, and guide them gradually to our ideas, but without trying to say we know who God is, which turns a lot of people off, you know.
1: Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I, I think that would probably backfire because the people would say, wait a minute you know, teaching us to be free thinkers and individuals and stuff. Isn't this kind of, and and I think you were hitting on this early in the interview where you said, I'm paraphrasing, but I think you were kind of saying we're at a disadvantage because our ideas are about, you know, individual autonomy and promoting free thought and so on. Whereas a collectivist, you know, they're much better at organizing masses of people to turn out on election day or just rah, rah, they can overlook differences. Like who cares if Hillary Clinton actually, on paper, did all sorts of stuff that progressives would be horrified by, you know, including voting for, you know, giving Bush the authority to go into Iraq, mm. you know. But yet she's a hero for women or something, right. you know, or she's a hero for the working class or so. Um, it's 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 a one in a pro, a benefit and a, and a cost or a, a pro and a con for for our position where yeah, we can't use tactics like that because the kind of people we're appealing to that just wouldn't.
0: Well, except that we could say if somebody is like, you know, 90, 95% of people are not really independent thinkers, but it's like, okay, we're going to create a community. There's certain things you do. And then, you know, the 5% who like are saying, hey, I'm an independent thinker will say like we explain to them, we need to do this, right? Because this is the only way we're going to get like, Size and influence in the world, you know, like, and 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 so we get them on, like, uh, you know, people who are skeptical of Christianity. Maybe they're, you know, you're you're a you're raised a Christian, but when you start thinking about it, you know, maybe you don't believe, right? So you say like, okay, well, this virgin gave birth or whatever, like, you know, I have original sin. I don't I don't agree with that. So they flail out. But if we can create something which is like, you know, we're not going to tell you what God is. We're just going to tell you what ethics are, you know, and like this. I don't know. It's it's an idea. Well, sort of... Yeah,
1: I mean, it's there's a spectrum of things, and so for example, there's some popular libertarian theorists right now who like have big YouTube followings. Yeah. And some people say, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> and some people say, oh, that person's a cult leader. Right. Uh, you know. And so some people like that. St- and I'm not saying the person. Inculcated that I'm just explaining no. to you, you know what That's what what natural say, how it works. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, and other people would say, oh yeah, there's more educational things, and you go to this this place and you study stuff for a week or whatever and come out. So there's very, you know, I've written books, you know, for people of various levels of interest and knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, including, you know, for people I'm junior high. So, you know, somebody who hated my ideas would say, look at this guy, he's trying to catch kids when they're young and totally brainwash right. them. Whereas in my mind it's like no no, I'm trying to catch them before they've been polluted with Keynesian crap and you know try to teach them the right thing from this so it what what one person is doing to try to you know help others and benefit the future of humanity in terms of liberty to another
0: person looks horrifying mm-hmm.
1: you know based on whether they agree with what the person's doing so mm-hmm.
0: Nice. Well, uh, we're, we're we're over in an hour, but uh, I just I wanted to uh, uh, talk to you a little bit more. So, but I do appreciate you taking the time, Dr. Murphy, and uh, I, I appreciate all the work you've done. I've enjoyed reading your stuff and, and seeing your your talks. So, uh, keep it up and thanks well, thanks a lot. Well,
1: great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This was an unusual conversation. We <laughs> usually get into this kind of stuff. Thanks. I'll
0: put up. I'll, I'll send you the, the link when it's uh when it's up and and also uh, uh I'll 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 put links to all of your your websites and stuff on the on the notes here. Okay, great. Okay, take care. Thanks so much,